Happy Friday, everybody. Yes, yes, it is that most glorious time of the week. High noon, wrapping the week up, getting ready to kick the weekend off. You are listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. Before I bring my guest on today, the message of the week, something that one of my mentors, Tony D, says all the time. We are always selling to 98.6 degrees, which is the average body temperature of a human it is important to remember, regardless of what your goal is, that there is a human pulling the trigger at the other end of those decisions, whether you're automated, digital, it doesn't matter. There's still uh, the buck kind of stops, at least for now. The robots haven't taken over yet with a human. And that brings to mind, you know, the idea of personal brand, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, keyword person in that statement. Uh, if you're dealing with humans, it's best to treat each other like humans, be a person. With that, I would like to welcome my guest to the show. She is affectionately known as Chef Lizette. We'll hear more on that as we get into this. Welcome, welcome. How are you doing today? Hi, how are you? Great. So we, for those of you listening, we've done a bunch of clubhouse rooms together, but this is the first time we actually get to see each other because it's always just the audio. So this is a pleasure. How's everything? So good. Great good, day. Good. So we're keeping it in New York this week, guys. We often zoom out to other parts of the world, but staying right in the NYC. So Chef is a, she's also just known as Chef, which is great. Like, it's so funny <laughs> that I was thinking about that earlier. I saw a picture in your Instagram and you had a bag that just said Chef. And just everybody refers to you as Chef. And it's like, within a restaurant, it's easy to say like, oh, Chef, you know, but like you're known to the world as chef, you're a personal chef. You're not housed under a restaurant right now. And I think you've done a really great job when someone just says chef, like you come to mind, you kind of like cornered well, that word. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, my, my goal is to really be known for that word. And like, so there's a little like story behind that. Please and, do tell. And that is because my full name is Lizette Lopez de Riaga. So it's a three-part last name and my entire, and I don't have a middle name. So my entire life, everyone has mispronounced my name. They've mispronounced Lizette and they've mispronounced Lopez Arriaga. And I adore my last name. Like I'm deeply proud of my last name, but I just figured like when it comes to social media and branding, um, even when I've done speaking engagements, like I cringe when I hear people introduce me because you know what I mean? And so I thought, how can I make it just easier for folks? Yeah. You know, um, and so there's Chef Lizette and hopefully at some point I'm just known as Chef to make it even easier. Right. Well, I appreciate that because when I when I we connected, well, I guess it was on it was either on Facebook or LinkedIn. And I got I didn't know your I didn't even know you had a last name. I was like, maybe she was just born Chef Lizette. <laughs> you, you were born you were born a chef. And I saw your your last name and I was like, oh my God, I'm not even gonna try to say that. I'm just sticking with Chef Lizette. So as a host, I appreciate that. It was very good foresight because I would have butchered your last name. <laughs> and it's also it's so funny I mean I'm I'm grateful that I just had the insight like it did take years literally yeah. because it was also a more than like making it easier for folks it was about owning Steph mm -hmm. Lizette meaning uh, I've earned it I've earned that title and so I thought, I mean, like, I have, I have so many interests in my life. What happens when I evolve and I'm not a chef full time? I still want to pay homage to how I started in my career being a chef. And so I figured maybe if I just started early enough in my, you know, branding career, I could just be known as chef. And in that way, it will always speak to my heart and soul of of food and cooking and the love of feeding people. That's amazing. So like your biggest competition right now is South Park. Like I can't think of anybody else that just goes by chef. If you like, if you cross that, that bridge, you, you own it. I've got my whole life. <laughs> I figure I've got my whole life. <laughs> you do. A one name human being. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Yeah. Um, so speaking of beginnings, I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, how you got into cooking, um, and, and, and becoming a chef and, you know, did you go to, did you go to culinary school? Did you grow up in restaurants? How did this kind of play out for you? Yeah. So restaurants weren't my world. Um, it all happened with Sunday dinners. It was, you know, I come from a Mexican American family, huge family and every Sunday without fail for, you know, up until I was a senior in high school, we would go every Sunday uh, to my grandparents' house. They were the bedrock and we just have these enormous, gorgeous family meals. And as soon as we got older, I mean, of course it continued way after high school, but as we got older, all of the grandkids learned how to cook. Um, we So then everyone started contributing their signature dishes and you know my grandmother was the epicenter and then you know the daughters so my mother my aunts and so forth and they're all just exceptional cooks I I will say I am biased my mother is hands down the best cook on earth like on earth she has just a, a real talent like a natural gift not a trained chef she just cooks with love. And so she knows how to, you know, go into any kitchen and, and create magic. But but more than anything, you taste, you taste love from her dishes. And nice. so that's, so that's like where the seed was planted of just, you know, cause I was already graduated or about to graduate from high school. And I'm like, what do I do with my life? You know, like there were so many things I wanted to do. Fashion, primarily being the first love. Uh, I went to, I went to, you know, FIDM, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, because I wanted to be a buyer um, in the fashion world. And, and I don't know, it just didn't resonate with me, like, but I continued my love affair of fashion. And, and then I just saw Julia Child on PBS. And it was just like, I don't even know, like I'm trying to, because it was so long ago, I celebrated 30 years this year of nice. being a chef. Awesome. And so I don't, I don't know, like the spark, the moment I was just captivated by Julia Child and then Jacques Pepin and Jeff Smith and, you know, Emma Lagasse, Ming Tsai, you know, like the early, early crew, mm-hmm. uh, Jacques Pepin, of course, Wolfgang Puck, um, all of the early, early chefs on PBS, I was just locked in. And so from there, I said, okay, I want to really get serious about it. And I was shopping around culinary schools. Uh, I wanted to go to the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, being the best in the country. Uh, I mean, actually, first, first, first is the Cordon Bleu in Paris. <laughs> that was like, that was where I really wanted to go. Um and then second would have been CIA, but it wasn't in my budget. And, you know, I was young and I just wasn't ready to leave home yet. Uh, so UCLA had a great program and I went there. And you, you grew up in California. I know you, you told me once that you moved here from California, but I wasn't sure that's you grew up yeah. in L.A. Nice. Yeah, I was born in Mexico City and uh, my brother and sister were not born in Mexico city. And so it was just due to relocation with my dad's work that, cause I'm the youngest. So he had a job in Mexico and then we ended up moving back. And so, oh, okay. so like Southern California is really where I was raised. Mm-hmm. Nice. And did you do, um, it, you, I think you said you did some stints in restaurants. You at least worked in some. Yeah. Wolfgang helped like, open some of the restaurants, like not open some of the restaurants, but he'd do a lot of like pop-ups and specialty events that premiered a lot of his signature dishes from his restaurants. Uh, the Ritz Carlton was my first job actually out of culinary school. So that was not too nice. bad. Yeah, <laughs> not bad at all. I, um, I have a lot of uh, just history with the culinary Institute itself. Um, I never, I never, studied cooking formally i'm in sitting in my restaurant right now this is love nice, it the brick wall in the restaurant I can't wait to i can't wait to visit yeah i know we're gonna we got we got stuff to do 
Um, one of the first, the first uh, guys I worked for was a Culinary Institute grad. This was like 94, 95. And I was whatever, I was like 18, 17, 18. And he was maybe like 22. And he had just gotten out of the culinary school because it was a two-year program back then. I guess it still is. Um, and he, he, he went to Florence for a semester or something like that. He was Italian. He was from Philly and, uh, and, and it was an Italian restaurant. And that kind of like began my love for the place. And then it just continued on even so like 10 years later when I first moved to New York City, the first job I got was as a sous chef in a kitchen in, in Brooklyn. And he was also a culinary institute grad from the same exact time frame, but they didn't know each other, which was pretty wild. And they used to send their in like it was like an apprenticeship thing he had in the summer, you know, and he, <laughs> they would they would send them in for brunch. And it was funny because, you know, back in the day, like around the time you wanted to go there, they had this requirement that you had to have two years experience in some kind of food service establishment. It could have been like, you know, scooping ice cream on the shore in the summers, you know, but you had to have like two years experience and like been through some fire and they got rid of that at some point by the time, you know, they were sending me these apprentices. And so there was these kids like straight out of, you know, straight out of high school, right into college, never worked a day in their life. And they, yeah, it was rough. And they, this was a jamming restaurant and they would say, they would come in for brunch and, you know, that was, it was just chaos, you know, like nothing's ready yet. And he would say, if they can't, you know, if they can't, handle it just send them home and I sent every one of them out of that kitchen I was just like get out of here it was awful but then have a 10-hour conversation on that yeah yeah right (laughs) and then when we opened when we opened Della um the gentleman we hired to to you know design the menu and and staff the kitchen was also a culinary institute grad from that same time period and again they didn't none of them knew each other (laughs) they all went to that school within the same like three-year period and like none of them knew who each other were. It was kind of strange, but I just keep having these reoccurring relationships with the school. I've never even visited it. I really, I'd really like to go up, but. uh, I I mean, I don't want to start interviewing you now, but but what's, what's fascinating is culinary school absolutely gives you a great foundation for a lot of skill set, but then there are those chefs who probably grew up with grandmothers and aunts and mothers who knew how to cook. And that's where you get the chefs who just, they're a whole different level. Yeah. Because like, it can't just be about technique because yeah. you're going to get thrown in the deep end and you got to figure out how, how to swim without a manual on day one, <laughs> you know? So it's, you know, there, it, it, there's a lot, it's a lot about using your senses. Um, and, and I mean, in fairness to schools, you can't teach that. That's something that you can't teach. That's where experience comes in. So. Have you ever visited the school since you? I need to go. I, I should. I need yeah. to, and I have not. We'll, we'll do a field trip one day. <laughs> like that would be more fun than to go alone because. Absolutely. Point, you know, so that would be awesome. Yeah. All right, we're going to take our first break. Hang tight. We'll be back in a minute. All of you, hang tight. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. 
We join together each Monday at 7 p.m. So tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back, everybody. If you're just tuning in, once again, you're listening to The Entrepreneur Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. We're keeping it tight and close here in New York City this this Friday, this magnificent Friday, uh, talking to Chef Lizette. She's a personal chef originating out of uh, Mexico City and Los Angeles. And at a certain point, you migrated to New York. How did that come about? What was what was the draw here? It was always the plan. It was, it was always. always. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I was the same exact way. Like as a kid, I just remember saying, "I'm going to move to New York." Like as a little kid. So was it? It was the same for you. Even before I knew I wanted to be a chef, like New York. Yeah. I was always enchanted by New York. Like you know, between Martin Scorsese and Woody Allen, and you know, all of Robert De Niro, the gangster movies. Oh yeah. You know. New York just captivated me, like from childhood. Frank Sinatra, you know, like you name it. Liza Minnelli. Yeah. I'm with you 100%. That's great. Yeah. So then, you know, you, you said you did some, you worked at the Ritz Carlton, some work with Wolfgang Puck. How did you transition from that to really like honing into, I'm going to be a personal chef and then transferring? When, did that happen in New York or did that happen in the West Coast? Oh, in Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Angeles. It's interesting. I don't know that I don't know that I said, okay, I want to be a private chef. It just it just happened. I mean, like in fact, I I knew without anyone telling me, well, that's not true. Julia Child actually told me I went to one of her book signings. Nice. And I was just starting my career and she said, always keep learning and be humble. So that always keep learning really stuck with me like this was even before the Ritz Carlton and so I knew that even being at the premier you know Ritz Carlton which in my mind was my favorite job of all time that was like the real university I was there for four years and that was my university mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to learn as many different ways of being a chef Meaning I was, I was on location catering where you'd set up shop from scratch from one place to the other. That's like the real boot camp of, of being a chef. Like that's hardcore, (laughs) hardcore, (laughs) you know, being a little taco truck and being, having four people. And at the end of the day, you cook for 500 to a thousand people on a set doing, you know, photo shoots and studios and all of that. Um, and so I knew I wanted to experience as much of a wide ranging resume. I wanted to build like a wide ranging resume. I never, and it's interesting because at the Ritz Carlton, you know, there was a fine dining restaurant, 
mm-hmm. like so it was a massive kitchen and it was all sectioned off and of course the pr- private dining restaurant had its own section and I loved that like I adored the meals that were coming out of there and I was able to experience what a restaurant environment looked like and it was great and I was thankful that I was able to you know help whenever they needed help um but I don't know. I just didn't want to be locked into one space. And so catering really resonated to me because everything changed, locations changed, the client changed, the atmosphere, your cooking styles changed. And then even another layer deeper, I was asked to do a party. And then I went into someone's home and I'm like, oh, this could be even more intimate. So you you take like from a restaurant experience to a catering experience to now, you know, being a private chef. And now you have real access to the client. And so that was the thing that that I didn't like. Like it didn't work for me being a chef in the back because mm-hmm. what I loved the most was serving the meal and seeing the reaction and talking and exchanging like that's the kind of chef I am. So to just be pumping out meals and not have the connection with the customer was so painful for me. So that's why I could never be a restaurant chef unless I own the restaurant. And, you know, part of it was going to the front of the house and talking to the guests. Um, But yeah, so I loved that I was able to bounce around and I did that intentionally. And, you know, one client became another client and then I was recommended but, you know, at the same time, I was still doing catering work. So, I mean, you know, like at any point you could have five, six different jobs yep. that total, <laughs> you know, that end up totaling one full-time job. And I like that. I like that. That was a beautiful tie-in to the message of the week. The whole Ooh. thing we were talking about, you know, becoming, being intimate, like always getting back to the human. Yeah. So, like, that's it. We're done. That was a great show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. No, that, that's, that is what it's all about. Like, so for me, a lot of the kitchens that I worked in were open air kitchens. So everybody could see you. And I really, really love that. Some people do not like that at all. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, it always just really uh, stuck with me because of that, because people could come by and say, they would talk to you, you know, they would, you got that human interaction, even while you were cooking. Um, so when we open, I mean, Della, wait till you see the kitchen here. I mean, most apartment kitchens in New York City are bigger than our kitchen and it's open. I love that. And so everybody, I mean, if you're at the bar, eat, if you're at the bar and you order food, literally it's being made five feet away from you. You know, yeah. there are tables. We almost had tables right up against it, like almost like a sushi kind of setup, mm-hmm. but the space just wasn't big enough for it. Um, we had to, we did a full build out. Hundreds of meals from there. I guarantee, like, yeah, I no, it's our- great. Yeah, yeah, like you said, I mean, I did a lot of those pop-up things too. So you're always working under the like stressful situations. And we yeah. had cooks that would cook, that would come in. We'd hire they they'd come in to look at the kitchen to, for a job, and they'd be like, "I can't work here." And I'd be like, "Well, right. you're not the right person for this." Um, but I I totally agree. It's like, go ahead. I couldn't hear. No, 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 there's a lot of different tiers to different chefs. Like there's very fancy chefs who like everything beautifully set up and they work really well in that environment. Um, Then they're, you know, like the pirates, like, you know, like (laughs) we just know how to figure it out. Like we could build a restaurant from scratch and serve by the end of the night, you know? Yes. Yes. I like that. I'm going to get a little parrot. (laughs) I know. I want want a little peglet. I did notice you're rocking uh, D Rock's happiness shirt. It's a great I, shirt. Yeah, it's my, it's so. My kids lost mine. I got the sweater and the sweatshirt and the shirt, and they like one of them wore the t-shirt one day, and it just disappeared. And I'm like, goodness, bring my happiness, bring my happiness back. <laughs> <laughs> He's still, them, I believe. No, no, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, he's actually been out here a couple times. Great dude. Cool. He's been to the restaurant. He's fantastic. And he likes food. And the other day, we're going to take a break in a minute, but we can, I wanted to ask this real quick before we go. You sure. post a lot, you post a lot about wine. Um, <laughs> I, I also came up like big time in, uh, in the beverage scene as well. How, how much of a part does that play into, to what you do just out of curiosity? Huge, huge. Yeah. Um, so in culinary school, you know, you had to take courses yeah. in, in that, 
my cousins actually were the ones like they had a love affair with spirits and they're so good at you know like they like to be mixologists and so they got me and I mean I would say it started with my grandparents because of course those Sunday dinners my grandfather just every detail was love he'd pick the wine carefully and so it started with my grandparents and then you know as I got older and hung out with my cousins um we got into wine and food and just geeked out over it and and then I started then we went to Napa. We went mm. to the French Laundry, in fact. Oh, wow. And, and that just elevated my whole level of, uh, in fact, it was Bobby Stuckey, who was a sommelier mm. at French Laundry at the time. And it was, I think, a six, seven course meal. And it was perfection, what he curated with the meal. And that just, I was... It was like a religious experience. It just was. And Thomas Keller wasn't there, um, but the kitchen was very gracious and gave a tour and all of that. Nice. And then I, after that Napa trip, I started Googling wine and, you know, searching more. And that's how I found Gary, by Googling the word wine. <laughs> that's, that's funny. It, it was similar for me. I was, it was like 2006 and I was working at this Italian restaurant in Manhattan and they had a great, great, almost exclusively Italian wine list. And I, I learned wine through Italian uh, culture first. I, you know, I went on to, you know, get, get a better understanding of French and Spanish and and new world stuff. But um, I was just super into this list and it was some really obscure stuff and you couldn't get your hands on it. And I'm the kind of person, like I wanted to know how to, how to describe and sell everything. I just so into it. And so my friend was like, oh, you got to check this guy out. He talks about everything. So if there's a wine you can't find, just just listen to him. Go check his YouTube channel out and and he'll he's bound to have like it, it on one of his episodes. And I pulled it up and I was like, this, he, and I remember him saying, you're going to love this guy. And I pulled him up and he was just like off the chain. And my wife's in the background going, who is this like making stuff? And I'm like, now there's even more fuel to like watch this guy. And I, I would come home like late at night, I'd get a bottle of wine on my way into work. Cause I would get out late and you couldn't get a bottle afterwards. So then when I got home at night, I would crack it open. And, you know, we didn't even have like headphones for our computer, you know, so it just played and she had to hear, no, not again. You know, and he's like snap into a slim gym. And, and it really like, he gave me. Thunder show. Yeah. And- yeah. <laughs> it's funny because he really gave me wings in that way because I, not long after I exclusively sold wine for about six years, maybe even longer, like I exclusively wine and spirits. I would still do pop-up food things, but it was, it was centered largely around uh, beverage sales. And like, that was it. He just like, like, like a, like picking the bird up and just saying, go fly. And I was like, I can talk about this however I want. I can even curse thank you. <laughs> you know, it was a... love to see. I truly like almost a show created of how many sommeliers he created yeah. in, like across the country. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I wish that somehow he would just bring back wine library TV. Cause I would geek out over it all the time. Me too. So yeah. I watched it for like six months, maybe. And then mm-hmm. that's when we really started like opening things and I got really busy and I, did, I just wasn't on any social media or YouTube or anything like that. You know, we were having kids as well. It was just like all, all pistons were firing. And it was, it was over 10 years later, someone sent me a Simon Sinek video. They were like, oh, mm-hmm. I think you should watch this. I think you'd like this. It was just a, it was just a couple of years ago. And uh, we had just had our third child. So I had a little baby at home. So I was like, I had a little more downtime. So I'm like sitting on my phone. I'm like, okay, I watched this video. And in the feed after it, Gary Vaynerchuk. And I'm like, ah, oh, what's this guy up to? And I click it. And it was like whole new world. I was like, wait, well, he's not selling wine anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And and it's literally the reason why we're doing this right now. Like it, it just keeps like channeling. Yeah, like so many people don't know that delicious world of wine yeah. library TV. Uh, I mean, but you know, you have to be like people like you and me that geek yeah. out over food and culture and wine and yeah. Yeah. And entertainment. Cause it was fucking entertaining. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, it, it's still to this day, my favorite thing he's done. Yeah. It, it Absolutely. Really, Absolutely. Yeah. 
Cool. Let's take another break. We'll pick back up in just a minute. Everybody hang tight. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. All right, everybody, welcome back. If you're just tuning in again, you're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. Today, we're hanging in New York City, talking with Chef Lizette, known across channels as Chef Lizette, or even just Chef sometimes, which is just an amazing, amazing feat. Now we get to jump into the nitty gritty. We got a good foundation laid from how she came yeah. from the West Coast, New York. At, well, you never, you never said what, how you came to New York. What was the thing that like that finally just said, boom, you're in New York. Well, I wish I had known you. I mean, like, I wish I had known industry people. Yeah. Um, I had, like, no connections of, you know, catering, restaurant, homies. It's a, it's a better story that way, though. I know. Boy, <laughs> did I scratch and claw to get Yeah, it. same here. No, it's a much better story that way. So it's a great story. I'll tell it in one minute. Um okay. So as a private chef, you know, regardless of L.A. or New York, it's a very exclusive, private, small group of people who need that kind of service. And in Los Angeles, I didn't even think of having an agent because it was all word of mouth. Like I was very blessed having the Ritz Carlton and Wolfgang Puck and along came Mary and deluxe catering. You know, like I was already in like the Hollywood industry environment and so it was just easy to get referred right or even the catering companies they'd have clients who wanted a private chef you know what I mean so it was just like a natural evolution New York is a whole different animal (laughs) which again like you can't read about there's nothing I could have studied to figure that out Um, and so I shopped around got agents knowing nothing and there was a there was a an agent who said okay there's a client who's interested in you and 
you know, it was so hard just to get that because they wanted New York chefs, right? And New York has a plethora of great, great chefs. Uh, like the supply and demand here is, you know what I mean? Like overwhelming of how many great chefs you could have come into your home and cook you a meal. And so when I just heard, oh, they're interested in you, I packed a bag, like very little. I started selling my stuff, like you name it. And I didn't have any savings, nothing big, like I'm coming with thousands of dollars. And so I came and I'm here with my bag and I'm, you know, I had a, an appointment for Thursday. So I'm calling my agent just to verify, okay, I'm already here. You know, I've paid my own way and let me know where I'm supposed to go. And they said, oh, well, they decided to keep their current chef. I'm already here. Like I've already had going away parties. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've like sold my stuff. <laughs> I got rid of my apartment. <laughs> like, and I gave my family very little notice, you know, um, like the, the breaking point, my grandfather passed away. He was my best friend. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that I stayed in Los Angeles longer because I wanted to be near him in my grandparents. Uh, then my best friend in the world, she passed away um, in a very unfortunate way. And, and then that was the real catalyst. It was almost like the movie Rudy when, you know, his best friend dies and, you know, he's wanted to go to Notre Dame his whole life. Like I'm Rudy, truly. And so when his best friend died, when my best friend died, I'm like, what am I waiting for? Like, so, um, so I just, you know, called. And when she said, yeah, you've got an opportunity. I'm, to me, that was the yes. Like I heard, I just heard <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like you could see on my Facebook, I, I sold everything. Like I, I did have a storage. So I put most of the stuff in storage and, and I just had one little bag because I knew that I had no budget and I, and I knew that eventually my mom could send me stuff little by little. Right. So it wasn't urgent. And I was only looking for a live in for me to be a live in private chef. So I didn't have to pay rent. So I didn't have to worry about furniture and all of that. And so when I heard that they changed their mind, now I'm in New York what do I do? I have less than $500 in my pocket. No job. It's getting to be the fall. It's getting crisp in New York. I had a little jacket. I mean, I could literally show it. In fact, hold on one sec. I have to do this for effect because this is the only little thin jacket I had with me in the fall. <laughs> Well, right. I'm from Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> so yeah. can you like appreciate how cold I was? Absolutely. So, and I don't know, I'm just a very stubborn, proud woman, meaning like I wasn't going to tell my family what I was going through, that I heard no, that, you know, because my family would have killed me. Like my mother would have killed me if she'd known that I... I sold everything on the whim without like a contract letter and all that. Um, and I said, okay, well, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll find a job. Like, so I was pounding the pavement and $500 in New York goes super quick. Yeah. Like it can go in 30 minutes, you know? Um, so I found myself homeless literally for five days. Have never been homeless in my life in you know, so I staggered it out. I stayed at hostels. Thankfully, you know, one allowed me to stay one night for free. And so like for almost 40 days, I just try to figure out how can I stay here? You know, how could I just stay long enough for a client to, to get me? Cause I'm here now and here's where you need to be for the interviews and all of that. Right. Yeah. Um, and nothing worked. And after literally like almost falling asleep on the streets because I was just walking around because I was so scared, like being homeless, you know, and I wasn't going to call or tell my family any of that. Um, 
so I just knew like close to 40 days, it was getting cold. I knew I had to go home. Like, you know, I, and that was really hard. And I had to move back in with my mom because I gave up my apartment, my car, everything. Um, and, but I was determined. I'm like, no, I'm going back. Like I'll figure out, you know, I'll, at least from my mom's house, I'll figure out how to work with another agency. And, and no one came out with anything creative. I finally just said, I will work for free for two weeks, you know, and, and in fact, I'm so glad that I'm wearing, it's like a full circle moment because yeah. this is D-Rock's shirt. And if you know the story of D-Rock, he of early on offered to work for free. And so I remember that episode um, in that time on the Ask Gary V show. And it just, it just hit, it just clicked. And I have done work for free so many times in my career. And I didn't even think about it for some reason, but hearing D-Rock's story, it reminded me, yeah, just offer to work for free. So I proposed to one of my agents, just tell anyone, I'll work for free two weeks. They just have to fly me out pay for my housing while I'm there and then give me a shot. And, and that's how I ended up coming. Someone said yes. And I dazzled them and in the re- and I'm still here. <laughs> that's I'm amazing. Here. That's such a great story because that's really how it's, how it's done, right? Like you have to dazzle it. it you know, you, you hear people talk about um, like value, like what is value or added value? You know, that's how like you get ahead. Like that's fucking value right there. That's like, <laughs> you know, not even value. Like, it's beyond. Yeah. Like yeah. you have to leave such a mark yeah. that they can't imagine not having you. Right. You know right. what I mean? And, and I know that most of it was just God and that it was the right time. And, and, and I really believe that when you, put in effort like if you put in enough constant effort and you show that you're relentless like there was no option like I wasn't Mm -hmm. gonna all of a sudden and it wasn't because I was too proud like to move back to Los Angeles like I was already emotionally ready to move you know and there was just no way right give me a shot and I I promise you you, no, will I, hire, you will hire me, you yeah. know. I get it. I it's like, yes, I, I hear you. It, you know, I mentioned Tony D at the beginning of the show. He's he's one of my lifelong mentors. Uh, he also a restaurateur. He's franchising right now. He's opened probably 20 restaurants. He's I think he's down to maybe like a dozen right now, but he's about to to launch a bunch of other ones. And, and, you know, same thing. I was just a kid when I worked for him. And so was he. He was like 23 and he opened his first restaurant and I worked for him right then, you know, and we've been really close all along. But, um, you know, we he says it all the time, like you learn, you, you move when your back is against the wall. Like when it's not, sure. there's no, there's no like effort. There's no, there's no like real motivation. But when there, you realize like, this is it, you have to make a move. And yeah. that was that that was that moment for you. It was like I, I love that. That's just such a great well, story. I mean, I just want to note this, be, you know, for who to add value to have, yeah. whoever is watching is that I'm deeply blessed that between my grandparents, godparents, and my parents, like I grew up middle class. So you know what I mean? Like I'm a princess. <laughs> like I'm a princess. I, I resonate with that too. I'm a princess also. And so it took that. It took like stepping out on your own and really like no, but realizing no, there was I'm, nothing behind you, you know? The the thing that actually psychologically did affect me for a long time, like and it's it's worn off its wares was those five days that I didn't yeah. have housing. Because I've never experienced that in my life with like no one to call, can I stay, sleep on your couch? You know, like that was scary. That was really scary. I, I don't recommend, you know, you know, because here's the thing, like many people hear these triumphant stories. And so you get young people or people of all ages who are fed up with their lives and they're like, yes, I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna have the most erratic behavior to make it happen. And sometimes it can actually be harmful. Yeah. So I don't necessarily recommend it unless you have the grit to follow through. 
And that's what the show is all about. That's why we do these interviews because people need to hear the nuances. Like you said, it's like great so, to hear this story, but like, what are the, where, what about the, the moments where like you almost didn't make it, you know, it's like people need to hear that and they need to understand why and how to like, hopefully not get quite to that point. Like I think pressure makes diamonds, but like, Pressure also smashes cars. <laughs> like, we don't, no we don't one, need that. <laughs> no one was there with me except for God when it was raining and I had, and I was soaking wet and no place to go. Like it, it, it's, it's so hard to see success stories when no one sees how lonely, how depressing, yeah. how scary, how dark. No one's there to see that. All right, that was that was really great. We're gonna take one last break and come back, and I want to talk cool. about like really talk about personal branding, your podcast, marketing, all that stuff before we have to go. Okay, so everybody, hang tight. We'll be right back. Let's go. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. everybody we're back talking with chef lizette here in new york city uh got all kinds of great uh stories from her about how she ended up in new york very very pertinent information but what has attracted me to you the most is our conversations in clubhouse centered around personal brand marketing social media i mean you're kind of like a you're like good at that stuff how did well, that? I mean, listen, hands down, that's that's where Gary really comes into my life. Because aside yeah. from you know watching Wine Library TV, which was my introduction to him, he then wrote Crush It. Crush It changed my life, and it only took fourteen years <laughs> to like actually put it into work. What did they say? What did, I've heard him say it before. I, yeah, I was an overnight success. It took me, it only took me 20 years to get there. Or yeah. Something like that. But yeah. it's interesting. Like we were absolutely like, we were just meant to meet. I was meant to read that book because everything he said in there is how I grew up. Like it, it, it made so much sense to me. It totally resonated me to me. Um, you know, my grandfather and my mother were star entrepreneurs in my mind. My grandfather had his business for more than 56 years. You know, he literally died one week within working at 92 years old. Like he, you know, was the hustler of hustlers. 
My mother built her commercial cleaning business with literally a hundred dollars and made millions of dollars, took care of so many people, created so many jobs in 26 years, all started with a hundred dollars in cleaning supplies and an ungodly amount of sweat equity put into it with her and her husband. And, you know, so everything that was in Crush It, it just spoke to me, but I didn't have the self-confidence. I didn't have like the mechanics of like putting it into action. Well, you do now. I do even, now. Even my buddy Lance, the the night we were, I can't remember, we were talking about NFTs and, you know, he's, he's a very successful entrepreneur as well. Um, and, you know, at the end, he kind of, he sent me a text. He was like, wow, man, like she's, she's on it. And so, you know, this is, this guy, he, I mean, he, he has a, he has his own consulting company and everything and, and mm-hmm. he hosts his own rooms. It's really fascinating, but like, it's impressive. So you, you know, what I, what I'd say is like, you have a certain clarity to you when it comes down to it, because a lot of people read, you know, things like crush it and listen to the podcast and stuff. But when it comes time to discuss it and really put it into, into some form of action, it gets a, a kind of clumsy. And I, even myself. Well, I'm, but I'm here's the thing. And I, I literally am, I'm truly going to write this book. And that is information prepares you, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it builds that framework. It, it injects the ideas, but it's not until your life, your DNA, you're literally ready. You know what I mean? So for example, I, I think you've heard my story. I've survived domestic violence, you know, 10, all of my twenties, I dealt with that. And that was absolutely an anchor in my, it, it, it continues. Like it's been an anchor in my life. And, you know, Oprah just, her and Dr. Perry recently wrote this book. And it's, and I say this because information is information, but it's not until you're ready to truly not just receive it, but actually let it marinate in your system so much that it becomes a part of your DNA. I mean, like the reason why I'm so good at social media now is I've been studying Gary's work for 14 years, every speech, every content piece, Ask Gary V, Daily V, reading his books. Like when you dissect someone's work on that degree, the same that I've been doing with Oprah, who helped me with the emotional side of dealing with domestic violence, all of those seeds were planted, but I had to rise to the occasion. I had to be ready to receive it. And so that's why you know, books literally can live in your life, but it's not until you become the person ready to receive it that books actually become meaningful or information like a great podcast or whatever. Even this, even this right now, there is someone right now who is going to watch this and I guarantee you they're going to be gung-ho and motivated and, and then next week they won't be ready. They'll, they'll forget this. They'll forget about this. And But this is the thing that both Oprah and Gary understand, and that is repetition. When you are consistent with the same message, with the same learnings, with the same blueprint, regardless if you have, you know, people, naysayers saying that, oh, my God, you just you're you're like a broken record. You keep saying the same thing. But it's that repetition because you never know when the person's actually ready to receive it. Like, I don't, I don't know anyone who's listened to Gary's stuff more than me, but I wasn't ready, you know, and you have to be ready. So I appreciate that kind of repetition. I mean, if you want to talk about mental health, there's a lot of people who are broken mentally. And so you just don't know when that magic moment will be for them. So if you could be repetitive and consistent with your work and have the confidence to like drown out the noise and continue your cause, you will affect that person who's ready. Great advice. In martial arts, they say repetition is the mother of all skill. Yep. Just like get your reps in. There's no substitution for it. What is it, like 10,000 10, reps for mastery? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell, his book, it, it's, it's an absolute fact. Like you do need either 10 years or 10,000 hours to really say that you're articulate in something. I agree with that. 
Me too. I like it. We got just a couple minutes left. I want you to tell everybody where they can. I mean, you, you just dropped on me the other day. You have a podcast. I didn't even know that. <laughs> um, so in our last like two minutes, podcast, social media, where's the best place to like learn more about you, reach out to you if somebody uh, has Thank employees you. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> my podcast is under construction, but the name okay. of it is Breaking Bread with Chef Lizette. I have many shows in the can. I'd love to have you as a guest. No, as well. it'd be my pleasure. It'd be my pleasure. Uh, but it is Chef Lizette on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, and then on Twitter, it's Chef underscore Lizette, L I Z E T T E. And so that applies to TikTok, Twitter, um, and Clubhouse, it's Chef Lizette. So pretty much Chef Lizette everywhere. Right. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> until, until you until you trademark just chef. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with chef with that. <laughs> yeah. I get and, so excited when I see someone doing a search for me, like on their phone, and I pop up right away. I'm like, oh, I'm doing a good job. Yeah, no, definitely. It was, you're easy to find everywhere. Um, Thank you. And do you have a website as well? I do. It's clunky because a lot okay. of the links don't link into, but it is cheflizette.com. Okay. But, so, you know, that's a great place to read my bio and a lot of articles and stuff there. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's really, really a pleasure having you on. And I look forward to like many more conversations through Clubhouse and wherever uh, we may find each other and them chocolate chip cookies. I want to try. Yes, they're coming. <laughs> they're coming. And I mean, like breaking bread is the thing I look forward to. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. All of you. Thank you. Have a wonderful long weekend. Uh, Enjoy. Enjoy some extra time if you haven't. Enjoy some family. And then Tuesday, let's go get it done. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Peace out. Bye. Take care. at www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day hey everybody it's tommy d the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic each week here on talkradio.nyc i host a program philanthropy and focus Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, and politics, all around what makes a great leader the personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2 They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Howdy, I'm Jeff Goodman, and you're listening to Talk Radio NYC.
I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 